Hello, I'm Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by David Stubley, who's the CEO of Seven Elements, which is a security testing and consultancy company. David's also going to be one of the speakers at our upcoming London Security Conference in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to that as well. So, David, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. So the, the session that you're talking about will be covering business email compromise, and you mentioned in the outline to your session that you're going to be looking specifically at a couple of case studies. So maybe you could just give me a quick outline of those to show us what kinds of damage can be incurred with business email compromise. I know. Thank you, Nick. Uh, so uh, what we find with um, business email compromise uh, events is that uh, they often share the same root cause, uh, initial point of compromise within an organization, but then depending on what the malicious threat actor finds within the uh, email account that they've compromised or the, the environment that they have uh, gained access to, they'll then take very different paths. Um, two recent uh, live incidents that we, we've dealt with for our, for our clients took two very different paths. Uh, one where they actually compromised the uh, CFO and the MD's uh, email accounts and had prolonged access to both email boxes. They were actually able to build up an understanding of how that business undertakes invoicing uh, to its uh, suppliers and, and use that against themselves to pay out a, a circa 140,000 pounds worth of, of malicious invoicing um, away from that, that business. But also, you know, whilst that's clearly hugely impacting on, on that organization uh, and any financial losses is, is to, be, to be avoided as, as much as you can. The other option is if they don't find that they have access to, to the right accounts to leverage that type of attack within within the organization they'll just change tack and often what the they'll then do as a as a different activity is that they'll look to exfiltrate sensitive data out of your organization that they may be able to use um, for, for themselves in, in other capacities later on or they will then use the email account that they've compromised to then try and target other organizations maybe within your own supply chain or partners of your organization to try and then just jump out of that compromised account into a, another one and then start the whole uh, process rolling again. I mean, obviously, GDPR has come into effect uh, in, in terms of the enforcement as of May this year. Um, just kind of wondering how that is impacting business email compromise and uh, the, the reporting component, I guess, more than anything else. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the, what we're actually finding is that it's, it's escalating the time window that you have to, to deal with when you are, uh, as an organization, become aware that there is an, a breach of one of your mailboxes. When, once you've got a, a position where you are aware that there has been a breach, then the GDPR clock starts ticking in terms of your uh, reporting window to for whichever regulator that you you have to respond to uh, in the uk a lot of the time unless you're a, a particularly regulated environment like a, a a bank you're actually going to be reporting it to the the information commission's office and, and obviously the, you know the, the 72 hour window that you have to deal with as soon as you are aware that starts going so the the pressure on the business to make a, a very uh, quick rapid assessment of what has occurred what data has been accessed what data can we see has been exfiltrated from the from the environment it has to be done at a pace. Historically, you know, an organization would never have uh, considered reporting that to, a, to an external agency if they just felt that they could deal with it for themselves and there hadn't been any uh, wider impacting breach rather than just purely data loss. But now under, under the uh, GDPR, they obviously have a, a remit to, to go out and, and report, but also report effectively knowing the facts. And as I said, that puts a lot of pressure on an organization to, uh, to get to that point of knowledge uh, much more rapidly. Right. I mean, is that even feasible, given 72 hours is a pretty short window? 
So it's it's an interesting one because the 72 hours is once you you have satisfied yourself that there has been uh, a, a breach. So there's a little bit of subjectivity on on at what point do you feel that that has occurred. So you know if your initial investigations are to to get to that stage, then that is before that time officially starts. So I, I don't think the the 72 hours is probably necessarily a um, an arbitrary set deadline that um, once there's a, a whiff of a, a, an incident that you have to to have done something within that time frame and in fact actually the ICO have, have made it very clear that they are uh, in support of incremental uh, advice and notifications if you have an initial position you can go to them and say your next update will be at and as long as they see that you're managing the flow of information and managing the incident then they'll be happy to work with you on that one um, what it certainly guards against is any organization that just wants to uh, put their head in the sand and just uh, ignore the issue and, and not uh, approach it um, correctly but in terms of business email compromise you can very quickly with uh, the right access to the audit logs and uh, back office functionality of say office 365 does a very good job of presenting the data for interrogation as long as you've gone in and configured the environment correctly uh, at the outset to make those um, very quick and rapid assessments for so the, the last instance that we got pulled into um, i would say it was probably within three or four hours of, of uh, analysis we were able to identify that uh, 42 emails had been exfiltrated out of that environment with sensitive information and then that allowed the business to go in and retrieve those emails from from their systems to see what that contained so they could go to the uh, ICO within the um, permitted time frame and actually have a very sensible conversation about the, the level of information that had been accessed and, and sent outside of the organization mm. I mean it's a good segue actually into I mean you mentioned office 365 I mean how how are cloud-based solutions impacting business email compromise so it, it has changed the dynamic so uh, it historically We've had email servers have been uh, a server on the inside of an organization's network perimeter managed locally by their, their sysadmins and, and uh, a degree of protection afforded to them because of that, um, that approach. Now, we have businesses that are buying cloud-based services. Office 365 is, is clearly uh, one of the, the, the leading providers in terms of uh, email and office functionality to, to organizations. The... The part here is that you're putting your trust in, in a, a, another entity to deliver you the service. Um, it depends on if you've partnered with a, an outsourced IT provider that is managing it on your behalf or are you managing the solution for yourselves. But what you actually have to do is take ownership of it. So Microsoft provides you with the platform and the tools, but they won't have turned everything on and they won't have secured it to, to your appetite because um, they are just delivering a service across multiple uh, businesses and different geographies and different jurisdictions and different regulatory practices and different risk appetites and, and, and sensitivity of the data that would be passing through those systems. So really you need to take ownership of that and look at the options that are available to you and then configure it to be uh, valid within within your environment. The thing that we find uh, most often is an organization will just pick it up off the shelf and believe and implicitly trust that because it's a Microsoft product it comes secure. And that is unfortunately uh, not a, a robust position to, to, to be in and, and will introduce weaknesses within your organization that you wouldn't have historically been um, exposed to. For example, you know, Office 365, you can log on to that through a web browser. Um, so it's not just an internal uh, authentication mechanism between your uh, 
of you know, email client and the backend uh, email server, you're now able to log into this over over the internet. So if you're using weak passwords or you haven't implemented uh, multi-factor authentication, then you're actually leaving yourself open to um, password brute force attacks that you wouldn't have historically have been uh, exposed to. And from accessing the the, the audit logs and the uh, security functionality within the platform, you need to go and make sure that it meets your requirements rather than what Microsoft has decided as a default or uh, uh, changes as they modify their services. Great. And I guess finally, David, what steps should an organization take in an instance of business email compromise? So I think it's it's multi-layered and you have various options available to you to in the first instance to hopefully mitigate having a, a business email compromise uh, instance in the first place. So if we uh, build our defenses uh, robustly at the outset, then obviously we are going to, to minimize the, the likelihood of, 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 a, of a compromise. And to do that, uh, my my key takeaways for that is that we should be implementing multi-factor authentication uh, as, as a default action to provide that secondary layer of protection that when you do log into your uh, instance you are then having to be prompted that you're logging in and you have to approve uh, that login so you are in control of who is accessing your your platform now if you do that straight away you have uh, mitigated the most common form of, of uh, external compromise from brute force attacks because you're not only going to have to guess a user's uh, password, you're going to have to trick them into uh, to authorizing that access as, as well, which makes that uh, more complicated. So that is definitely a, uh, a mitigating strategy that would help um, defend. The other um, point of, of compromise that we see quite often is individuals being enticed to click on uh, an email that has been sent to them, often within the supply chain or, or partners as part of that step through process that we discussed earlier where if that account can't be used to, to exfiltrate funds, then it is used itself to go and target other people. And we've seen those emails from company A that's been compromised land on company B's, uh, various users' emails, and that user within company B will place trust in that email because come from somebody that they recognize uh, and often the mechanism will be click on this link and, and uh, access the, the OneDrive document I want to share with you but if they click on that link it's actually taking them through to a compromised website that's pretending to be uh, an office uh, 365 OneDrive uh, provider and it asks you to re-authenticate and the user will unless they've been educated uh, correctly and, and are aware of these scams will have placed trust in that and they will provide their credentials thinking that they're logging into to, to an office platform when in fact they are just disclosing their credentials to to an external attacker who then uses those credentials to log into that user's account again so training and awareness of, of, of the user is quite paramount there to spot those types of, of attempts but bolted together with mfa uh, multi-factor authentication because again if they then get prompted for that login um yeah it, it helps somebody have an opportunity to think, oh, I shouldn't maybe have done that or spot that that has occurred. So certainly if we can get some mitigation in to, to avoid it, that's got to be the best place. Um, the second level is that enable, make sure that auditing has been enabled within your tenancy. Uh, Microsoft provide a fantastic uh, resource of uh, audit events that can be captured within, within the platform and they can be available for up to 90 days within the, the tenancy. A key thing to be aware of there is that that 90 days is a hard stop. If you go to every day past that 90 days, those logs are lost. So you may want to consider as a business taking your your audit logs and retaining them for a 
longer period of time. Uh, we've seen instances where email accounts have been compromised for at least four months. Now, clearly, that's outside of the 90-day uh, retention period, so we can't see the initial activity that was was created to uh, to gain access. We can only see what happened in, in month three, two, and one. Um, so if you're retaining logs, then obviously you give your, your ability to, to investigate and correlate the activity is much more greatly enhanced. And then uh, further than that is looking at the, the other options within the, the tenancy to, to provide a, a more feature-rich uh, approach to, to providing mitigation. So there are other controls that you can put in place, such as not allowing emails to be auto-forwarded outside of your organization. Uh, and we find that a lot of uh, malicious threat actors, the first activity they will do once they've gained access to an, an account is they'll set a mail forwarding rule from that account matching keywords and every email that matches that keyword will be automatically sent to an external uh, email address. Um, in the last one, it was a, a, a Gmail address. And, and as I said, we were very rapidly able to see that, that quite a few emails had been sent to that Gmail address and then start looking at the content that was sent to that. And they're looking for financial uh, records a lot of the time, but they're also looking for uh, personal information that may allow them to leverage further attacks against the, the individual that they've, they've managed to gain access to. Um, Again, if you'd set uh, a mail rule blocking filter within the, the tenancy, those emails are not going to leave your organization. And more importantly, your uh, administrators will get an alert when that is attempted. And therefore, that proactively allows you to spot that something uh, awry is, is underway. Very good. Well, David, thank you very much for joining me today. That was David Stubley, who is the CEO of Seven Elements. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.